I uh, wonder how you're getting on with this series so far. How many of you have been here for all of the series so far? S-H-A-P. Wow, that's great. Praise God. I'm glad for that. Um, I wonder if you could uh, just think for a moment, is there something in this series that particularly has stood out for you, that has helped to shape your thinking a little bit, that's kind of got you thinking in a different way? Maybe this whole idea, and if you're with us for the first time, don't worry, I'm going to bring you up to speed in just a moment real fast, but uh, maybe there's something in this series that you thought, I've never thought of that as being part of my shape and part of who I am and, and one of the things that God would use to fulfill my destiny and to become everything I want to be, uh, that he wants me to be. The idea behind this series is really simple, that God has got a destiny and a purpose for our lives and that fulfillment is found when in him we discover, in this series which kind of fits for us, our unique shape, who we are, who he's designed us to be and, uh, and we've been thinking about our spiritual gifts, which is the H, the, sorry, the S, a little bit tired, a little bit tired, up with the storm last night. The H is what are the things that God's put in our heart and where's our heart's desire, what are the things that we dream about. The A is about our abilities, those natural skills and talents that either we've honed or that just they're a knack that we've got. And then last week, <coughs> excuse me, we're thinking about P, our personalities. So, so far we've been thinking about how each of us is a unique blend of those things. And today we're going to think about the E, which is our experiences. Uh, but I just wonder as we think about that, is there something so far that, that has stuck out for you that you've kind of thought, do you know what, I've, I've rethought that part of my story or that part of me and maybe there's something that I always didn't know how it fitted or how God would use it and I'm beginning to see how when I blend all of this stuff together, it starts to make sense of life. Now maybe that that's not you at all, in which case you can turn to the person next to you and say, no, not at all, here for the first time or missed half the series and this has been my week. Maybe that's your story, that's fine. If you haven't been around for the series, just say hi to the person next to you and fill them in real briefly on your week. But is there something in shape that's been already kind of sticking out for you? Maybe, and if this helps, be thinking about the conversations you've been having in life group and, uh, and what are the kind of conversations that have been happening there as you've sought to make sense together of uh, the things that we've been covering. So just a few minutes, turn to the person next to you. If you haven't said hi to somebody this morning, now's your chance. Turn around, talk to people. Talking normally means noise, so there we go. Wow. Well, there was some talk, so I'm hoping that means good things. I'm hoping that means that there have been some things that we felt God has been revealing to us as we figure out our shape, S-H-A-P-E, spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and today we come to experiences. If you want to kind of grapple with the stuff that we've been 
talking about. This is the book the idea comes from. It's, if you haven't been here before, I haven't mentioned it. I've tried to each week, but sometimes I haven't. It comes from Saddleback Church over in California. Uh, you may have heard of the senior pastor there, a man called Rick Warren. And uh, it's from his church, and this is material that they use to help people find their purpose and their meaning. And I guess one of the things that I would want to say about the kind of church I think we should be, it's very, very easy in church world to have a, like a vacancy. We need a dot, dot, dot. We need a worker for this group. So who can it be? We'll just pick somebody and we'll force them into that role. And that's certainly one way of getting things done in church. I am not certain it's the way to spiritual fulfillment in life. And I kind of think there's a much better way, which is we figure out who we are in Christ. We figure out that shape. We work out, well, if this is who I am, if these are the spiritual gifts God's given me, if this is where my heart is moved, if these are the abilities that that he's placed in me naturally, but also that I've worked hard at making better, if this is the kind of person I am, this is how I'm wired my personality and today my experiences, if this is all of who I am, what kind of a a role in my life, and and by that I mean not just what I do here in church, but in the whole of my life, what might it be that begins to lead to real fulfillment? And for some people that will definitely be by playing a, a role in the life of this family together, and for many of us it will also be stuff that we're doing outside of this place, and it's our nine to five, because if shape doesn't make sense, in the context of what you're doing for the majority of your life through the week, then we're living what I would suggest is a kind of compartmentalized life where we've got the spiritual bit over here, the work bit over here, the family bit over here. And I've got to tell you, that's just not the life that God wants you to lead. He wants you to have a whole life. So my longing, my desire, my keep pushing you to be involved in these conversations in life group is so that we can see how this fits the whole of our lives. And we can see how the whole of our lives is about fulfilling God's plan, purpose, and destiny for us. I said at the beginning, and I said it in the middle, and this is the end, so I'll say it again. There's a, a message that's in the book that I kind of want to endorse, which is, and it says, there's a lie that goes around in our society that says you can be anything that you want to be if you just put your mind to it. It's false. You just can't be. But you can be everything that God had made you to be. You can be everything that he designed you to be, that he destined you to be. You can be everything that he would want you to be to see you fulfilled in every sphere of life. So we come today to experiences, and I'm guessing that most of us have got experience in our lives of times when something has happened to us and it has shaped us. Some of you will know, many of you will know, I just love spending time in galleries. And uh, for me, one of the most relaxing things I can do, one of the most inspiring things I can do is grab myself half a day or even a few hours, uh, and I do it from time to time. I'll say to Susanna, oh, that meeting's cancelled. I'm just going to go into the centre, and I'll go to a gallery, and I'll spend a few hours in a gallery looking at paintings. And I just, for me, that just works, you know, movies and paintings, that's it. For some of you, it's classical music. For some of you, it's going for a walk in the countryside and looking at the trees. Whatever it is, wonderful. For me, it's galleries. And I want you to imagine for a moment that there was a gallery of your life. Imagine that unseen to you, for the whole of your life, there was a painter who was observing the whole lot. 
Some of you are quite worried at this moment. Don't worry, there wasn't. I'm not about to do a big reveal. Look at the screen. <laughs> but if you were to do that, I wonder if you had a walk through that gallery, what are the things that you'd see as you walk through that gallery? What are the experiences of your life that you would expect to see on the wall? What are the experiences in your life that you would really hope would be on the wall? I really hope they saw that because you know what? I knocked it out of the park that day. <laughs> that was my best day ever. What are the things that you hope they had a sick day for and they were at home and they missed? What are the things that you hope don't appear on the wall because nothing good could ever come from that? And when I think about it, it just brings shame and guilt and condemnation. What are the things? There are things in our lives that if we were to walk through that gallery, and I don't know which gallery you've been to, but just imagine it, walking through that gallery, and sometimes you're walking down a narrow corridor and the paintings are just on the wall. Sometimes you're in a massive room like this and there's maybe only four or five, lots of space and time to just have a look and consider what would be those things in the pictures. I want to read to you a really important verse as we consider how our experience shape us, how they form who we are, and also how God might use those to see us become fulfilled and living the life he destined and designed us to live. I want to spend a few minutes in some words in Romans that I think sometimes we misunderstand, but I think really some of us need to hear and have applied into our lives. So turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Many of us will know this verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, quite well. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. But I want us to see that in its context. If you have an older NIV, then they put a little break in and it just stops the flow. Get your pen out, score through it. Score through them all. They're horrible things, the NIV breaks. Just get rid of them. They're not in the original text. Get rid of them. Let's go to verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. We'll talk about predestination a bit later. Not today. Maybe when we get to glory, we'll have a chat about it then. Um. <laughs> but today I want us to see something really important in this. I've seen this verse misused, you see. I've seen it put on a poster and misused. In some people's minds even, I've heard them quote it almost as an excuse 
as a way of covering over bad behavior. Oh, it doesn't really matter. God will use it. That kind of a senti- sentiment. God works all things for the good. So, yeah, I messed up, but, you know, that's that. And There's almost an excuse in there. It doesn't matter what I do. I can just keep messing up, but God's grace is just so big. God's grace is just so huge. His mercy is so vast that it doesn't really matter what I do. It's just that everything's going to be okay. I can behave what I, the way I like because Jesus took all the punishment on the cross and God's going to work all things for the good. And I've got to tell you, I don't believe that's at all what the text says because the text says this. It says, he works all things to the good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. This text tells us that in the lives of those who love Jesus, who've set their hearts on following him, who are desiring to live a life that pleases him, who are looking to live according to his plans and purposes, in those lives, God works all things for the good, for the good of those. It's not just some general doesn't matter what happens, God's at work in the heart of it, doesn't matter what you were thinking, what you were doing, what was in your head, and your heart, God's going to figure it all out. That's not what the text is saying. What the text is saying is, when we set our hearts after following him, and when we seek to become fully devoted followers of Jesus, when we love him, and when we are called and we live out according to his purpose, in that God works all things for the good. This is not a text to let us off the hook for bad behaviour. This is a text that reminds us when we set our hearts on him, we enter into a new dynamic in our relationship with him, within which he is at work in our lives and taking even the most difficult things, even the mistakes that we make when we're trying hard to follow him and we just get it wrong. He is at work in that to work things for the good. That's the first thing I want us to see. The second thing I want us to see is this. And there are some people who have a theology, and I'm, I'm going to caricature it a little bit. If your theology leans towards this and you feel that I'm getting it, you please just, just forgive me. That's my clumsiness. I'm going to caricature a little bit. There is a, a kind of theology that says you are victorious in everything that you do all the time because Jesus is in you. That's the fact. You're victorious, and you can go and live in your victory. Everything you do is good. Everything you do is good. Everything you put your hand to, God will prosper. That everything that surrounds you is good, and and if for a moment you think it isn't good, then you are living in, and here's the language, you're living in a negative confession. And it's only when you live in a positive confession that God only gives you good, and all that is around you is good, that you'll really see the goodness that God is doing. And there's a sense, if that's the kind of theology you'd lean towards, your understanding of the world that you'd lean towards, then in this text, you might see it reading a little bit like this. Look, God's at work around you and everything's good. He's working and it's all good. You don't realize how it's good yet, but it's all good. Live in a positive confession. Your house is burnt down. Hallelujah, he's got a house for me in glory. That's it. Your son died. Oh, but it's a good thing that my son died. How is it possibly a good thing that your son died? There's this, but I don't want to live in a negative confession because because what? 
It seems to me that the because is actually a kind of paganism because I'll bring bad luck into my life. That's not what this text is saying at all. In fact, it is quite the opposite. It's real about our lives. It's real about the mess we get ourselves into. It is real about the pain. It is real about the failure. It is real about the horrible things that are happening. And it says, somehow, if we're following after him, he is eventually going to weave all of this into our story. And there will come a day when we will realize, somehow in this, God is going to bring good out of it. It's not saying everything around you is good. God's only working good around you. It says that when we set our face to him and follow him, somehow through this, he's going to work good. And it might be good immediately, and it might be good in five years' time, and it might be good in 25 years' time. And it might be good for us, but it might be good for somebody else who needs to know that you can survive. Please don't read in this some kind of condemnation for you if you are not living and everything is good right now. But it says in the Bible that God will make everything good. It doesn't say he'll make it, everything around you good. It says that all those things that are going on around you, he will use for good. He will make good come out of that, either now or in the future, and we'll see it. The third thing I want us to see in this passage, which is commonly misunderstood, is actually what his plans and purposes are here. Those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God's purpose in all of this is to form and shape in us the image of Christ in order that there might be many images of Christ in the world, as many as there are people who are following him. God's plan for us is to become more and more like Jesus. Now, there are some who have a theology that says you can become exactly like Christ. I don't think so. We'll have that conversation another time. If you want to have it, come and chat to me later over a coffee. We don't become Christ. We become like Christ, and we become more and more like him as we go through this world. And more and more as we live in his spirit that's changing us and forming us and shaping us, we become more and more like him. We bear this family resemblance. If you look at our children, you see they have a family resemblance. Nathaniel looks a lot like his mum. Poor old Hope. <laughs> she looks a bit like a daddy. Less than she used to, but she does. Bless her heart. She's a gorgeous kid. She's gorgeous. But Jesus is shaping in us his nature and character so that it's obvious we are his family, that he has many brothers and sisters, the firstborn among many, who bear the image of our Father because we're shaped by him and we live by him. And the passage is saying our experience then, God working good in all things, is to shape us into the image of Jesus. Part of the reason we go through the experiences of life is exactly so that we can be shaped and changed and become more and more like Jesus. Romans 8.28 then is not saying everything's good. And it's not saying it doesn't matter what you do because God will turn it to good anyway. 
It's a passage that says, as we are on this journey to become fully devoted followers of Jesus, as we trust in him and live for him and seek to live according to his purposes, we enter into this dynamic where God is at work in our lives, bringing good from even the most horrible mess. Now, maybe immediately you can think of how that has been true for you. Sometimes in very flippant ways, we can immediately see the application and there's an immediate piece of learning in our lives. When I was uh, 13, 14, I was in a school in North Yorkshire and it wasn't a football school, it was a rugby school. You can guess by looking at me that this is likely to be the only sport that I ever really participated in beyond tug of war and shot put that were uh, anywhere near my own unique shape. Uh, and I played rugby, and I wasn't bad at rugby, but you will have noticed, undoubtedly, because you're such an observant lot, that I wear glasses. Now, without glasses, I'm pretty lost, actually. I mean, I can see that you're there. You couldn't sneak up and grab them from me, but I couldn't see who's who, particularly. It's only because I know what some of you are wearing when you came in that I can distinguish you even now. Um, however, my role in the game of rugby, as you might imagine, wasn't to be looking a long way away, it was to be looking right in front of me and pushing hard. And so I was a prop and that's what I did. But I did used to play rugby and if I took my glasses off for about an hour before a game, then my eyes would just change a little bit, uh, things would just, they'd refocus a tiny bit and I'd have a slightly sharper vision. And, uh, and I wasn't bad at rugby, I was a big lad and I could push hard and I could take the pain and I could give a good tackle and so all was well. Until one day as I'm running onto the school pitch, uh, a friend of mine shouts, I won't tell you what the nickname was, because he, he didn't call me Jonathan, he used the nickname, and, um, and I turned and he said, you've got your glasses on, and I ran over to him, and I gave him my glasses, and I ran back onto the field, and a couple of minutes later, there's a scrum, and it's quite close to the sideline, and we've gone down the scrum, and I've had a bang on the back of my head as I've gone down, and as I look up, I see a guy in the opposite team's colours and he's got the ball and he's right there. And I run across and I tackle him. The ball goes forward and I grab the ball and I start to run. And I run half the length of the pitch, which is no mean feat for me, before I realise that nobody's chasing me and nobody's tackling. And what's happened is, I've gone from the A team game, which is on this field, into the B team game. <laughs> in the adjoining field. I share this with you because occasionally I get asked what is the most embarrassing moment of your life. That is undoubtedly it. And there are like teachers and students and parents and they're laughing. They're laughing. Some are like in wonder, where did he come from? the B team, where did he come from? There's an immediate moment of learning which is have a friend remind me an hour before a game to take my glasses off. What good could come out of that? I can share a story that gives you space to say, well, my embarrassing story is nowhere near as embarrassing as that, so I feel that I can share it now. There you go. It's hard to see much practical application beyond that. I don't think there's much spiritual learning that's come from that moment for me. Sometimes the thing that we learn is immediate, and it's a lesson we learn, and it is the reason I got dropped to the B team for several games. And that was that. Then there are things we go through in our lives that are not embarrassing, but they're ridiculously hard. And as we go through those things, they can be terrifically painful as we're going through that season, 
And maybe it isn't long after that that our surviving that story and our having that experience becomes the very place that God begins to grow us from. We find that in a moment of brokenness, God plants a seed that grows and becomes a whole new thing in our lives. I guess for Susanna and I, that would be our experience of infertility and the struggle that we had to conceive children and then the discovery that it was going to be biologically, naturally impossible for us to have children who are biologically ours and that we would need to have some very expensive treatments, both of us, in order to have children who were ours. And we went through that season of brokenness very openly with the church that we praise God eventually resulted in a miraculous opening up and a very practical opening up of ways for us to have treatment so that we could have Nathaniel and Hope, but only after a long season, a very public season, of struggling with our fertility. We cried a lot. We cried publicly. We cried in church. Whenever we came into the presence of God, it was like somebody ripped the top of a scab off and it was sore all over again. Um, but we sought to live authentically in that and in the church community. And the first thing we discovered was a number of couples in the life of that church who had never told anybody that they'd experienced infertility who came to us and said, we have been in this place. This is a bit of how you get through it. And when we shared our story, and we've continued to share our story, many people have then seen in that a way through. Some have longed for somebody they could talk to about treatment and the ethics of it and how it might work and the experience of that and the heartbreak of that. Others have just wanted to know that somebody, even though we got through that pain and came out the other side, for many years we lived with that pain, know what that pain is and know that God is enough to get us through. We needed that. We needed that. For me, a really significant leader, I just, I got to the place where I, I shared the story before of being on the Shetland Islands, and if you haven't heard that story, then I'm not going to share the whole story now. Come and ask me later. But I came away from that experience of utter brokenness into a conference environment where I spent time with a senior leader who I know had gone through infertility, and I just said, I need some time with you because I don't know how I survived this. What good came out of that? I've got to tell you, countless people have experienced God's grace in the midst of horrific pain because of the good that God worked in our experience. What did we learn in that? We learned about depending on God. We learned about even in the darkest of times knowing that his strength was available to us. I learned things about the church and I reflected on a season of church uh, in the 90s of what God had longed to be fruitfulness and new birth in a church and that there just hadn't been and how much that grieved the heart of God that there was no fruitfulness in the church and that the church had been infertile. So much that we learned as we sought to live openly about this and to seek God's guidance and grace and mercy and to use that as something in our lives and to be open with that in a way that others would come and encounter him too. Have I missed something really important? Okay. Susanna does get a warning when I'm going to do something like this, so I did talk to her. God works all things for the good. And I want us to see in another passage a little of what that looks like. 
and what God is doing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I just want to read to you the first 11 verses of this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people through Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so too our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Look at that. Look at what Paul's saying. He starts off with the, the comfort that you've received will become a comfort for others. But then he goes on to give a demonstration of how. And he says, we went through this horrific time. And part of the reason we went through it was so that we could learn this lesson from God, that he's the God who raises the dead, but also that you might learn the lesson because we went through it. Can you see how God works to the good? And look at what's happening in here. It's to bring comfort, not to make us comfortable. I'd love to say that the idea is that we could become comfortable. I'd love to tell you that God all wants us to have this beautiful, lovely, comfortable life. I just, I just don't see it in Scripture, really. If for no other reason than Jesus didn't have one. <laughs> but God's aim is to bring comfort. <clears throat> you know, there's couple of meanings to that word comfort, don't you? Anybody seen the Bayer Tapestry? And the king comforting his disciples? Do you know how he did that? Tell me, Irene. He did. He did. The king's got his sword up the backside of one of his soldiers, and he's prodding him along, and it says the king comforts his soldiers. <clears throat> it's encouraging, it's building up, and sometimes it does feel like there's a sword in our backside shoving us along. That's kind of like, get on with it. Um, but there's this other comfort, and I think probably Paul means the other kind of comfort, hopefully. The kind that offers us some hope and some, some sense of we can go forward from this moment because God's in the midst of it. You will have great experiences in your life. And here's the thing that we find so easy, which is, as I think about experience and talk about experiences, it's so easy for us to immediately start to drift towards the negative. But I want us to realize that there's a bunch of positive experiences in our lives. Things that you have done and that you've experienced that went so well, that that too becomes useful in your story so that you can share that with other people. 
Maybe you learned a skill. Maybe there's a technique that you use. Maybe there's a conversation you had with someone. Maybe you did something intentional. And it was a real experience of great success for you. It was a real achievement. Maybe it was an achievement in your personal life. Something that you know you'd been struggling with, but you managed to find a way through and have a breakthrough in. Maybe it's something in your vocational life, the, the job you do, the stuff that makes sense of the wider part of your life. And, and I think it'd be really good for us to start realizing it is vocational. You may at the moment have a job, but I want us to get to that place where all of us are doing the stuff in the nine to five that feels like a vocation. Don't quit your job right now and go looking for it. Don't put that on me. We can't afford that in the current climate. But if there's changes you can make, as we were talking about last week, or if there are things that you can be doing in your life to get to that place where you're kind of making sense of the nine to five and it feels like vocation, that would be a great thing. Maybe it's an achievement in your vocational life. I tried really, really hard at this and the path to success was just really hard work and I found this and that's how I managed to keep focused and that's how I kept going. Really great achievement. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's something in a relational life. Maybe you're the one who took the initiative in restoring a relationship, or maybe you just, I, I tell you, let me tell you about a success from some friends of ours. There's a couple who lived a couple of doors down from us in Wolverhampton. I got his permission to share this story, and uh, I was doing wedding prep for him and his, his then fiance, uh, wife now, and uh, I sat down with them, and in marriage prep, there's a question I kind of talk about, and it's, who are the friends that are going to help you in marriage? And you know what this couple did? They smiled. I said, what? He said, oh, we know who they are. I said, oh, who is it? And he said, it's Darius and his wife. I said, tell me about Darius and his wife. He said, I thought to myself, whose marriage would I want to have? Who is it that I know in my group of friends that speaks well of their wife and who has a really rich marriage? And I don't know him very well, but I decided I would get to know him and he's going to be my best man and Darius is, and his wife, they're just so in love together. This is a guy who's like on the fringes of church. He doesn't really know much about church. His family network and his friendship network, to be frank, would be quite chaotic. And he'd figured it out for himself. I was bowled over. That would be a massive like, relational achievement. He'd managed to figure out who would be the couple that would support them in their marriage and they did something about it. Isn't that really cool? Well, I kind of think so. I think it's really cool. You might also think about um, what other experiences you might have had uh, in terms of education. Uh, what have been the achievements in terms of education? What has God worked for you in that? And then spiritually, as you've sought to grow with him, what have been the achievements that you've made? So just as it's easy for us to get in touch with those points of pain and those things that really we can, might consider negative or painful, we can get in touch with that and think about how we learn. There's a flip side to this, which is which are the things that have been achievements? What are the positive things? What have been the great things in life that have lifted you up? Because God wants to use those too to lift others up. Oh, but Jonathan, that feels like showing off. Well, then don't do it in a showy-offy kind of way. But don't negate what God has done in your life that was really excellent. He wants to use that too. He wants to celebrate that in you too. Your story is not just, I was in a horrible, mucky place and God got me out. Hallelujah, he did. Your story is also, I tried hard at this and with God's help I succeeded. You can too. Just don't sell Amway or Tupperware or whatever. whatever. But just recognize that our experiences are positive and negative and too quickly we think about how God uses the negative. How can God use the positive in your life? 
What are the great things you've experienced that you can lead others into greatness from? That you can comfort others with the comfort that you've had? In our life groups this week, I, um, I'll send out life group notes like I, I normally do, but I've brought some homework with me for you to do this week. <gasps> Somebody sighed. I heard a sigh. And I'd love for you to do this and then bring it with you to life group this week and to the life group that you're part of. Uh, and I, I want to go back to that image I had right at the beginning, which is of you walking through that gallery, of you taking a stroll through the gallery. And I'm going to invite you to create some portraits. Now, some of you are great artists, but actually all I'm looking for is words. I'm going to I have. I've put over there on this new magazine rack, which looks tatty now, but will one day look really great. Uh, on the magazine rack, I've put a piece of paper that looks like this. And on it, uh, and alongside it, are some things that look like that on the outside. That on the inside. Isn't that pretty? Are you looking forward to this already? Yeah. Of course you are. I want you to take the, uh, the worksheet, this thing here. And I want to encourage you to think about your memories and your experiences and to think of three, in each of these subheadings, three areas where there is an achievement, personal achievement, a vocational achievement, relational achievements, educational achievements, spiritual achievements. Think of three, if you can, underneath of each of those. It takes a bit of time, you see. That's why I think you need to do it before life group so you can get it in the bank. Think of three, if you can, for each of those headings. What have been the achievements in my life? And then as you look through that list of 15, ask yourself, right now in my life, as I'm doing this today, which three of these seem like the most important achievements in my life? And when you've got those three achievements, I want to invite you at that point then to find the picture frames and to create a kind of word picture inside there. A word picture that describes the feelings and the situation and what was going on and really fleshes out and gives you a good portrait of what was happening in that moment. And then to look back over those portraits and to ask that question, how might God use this to bring good for somebody else? And how has God used this in my life to bring good? And then to bring that with you to Life Group, ready to share. There's a flip side to that sheet, which is the painful stuff. And I'm inviting you to write three things that have been a difficult experience. What's been the personal point of pain? What's been the vocational points of pain? The relational points of pain? the educational points of pain, the spiritual points of pain, you'll have 15 of those, and I invite you there to look at those and say, which three right now in my life seem to be the most important? And again, to use those three frames on the handout for the painful um, portraits, and just draw word portraits of those, and then to prayerfully be saying, Lord, how can you use this to bring good? How can you use this to care for somebody else and that comfort might come to somebody else. Maybe to make a note of those things, how God brings good from the achievements and the points of pain, uh, just next to each of those portraits. So you just have a little record for yourself. What you write on this sheet, I invite you just to keep to yourself, but I'd love it if you could bring these to life group this week with you so that we've got a discussion point happening of 
perhaps there's one that you'd be willing to share with that group and just say, you know, here's one of mine so that we can see how God's been at work in our lives and encourage one another. Here's the amazing thing. As we share these with a group of people, who knows what others in that group need to hear? And it may well be that the thing that you share, that experience, that achievement, unlocks an achievement for somebody else. Or it could be that you sharing that painful portrait is the thing that leads somebody else to a place of healing and hope. And that would be my prayer for us this week. Our experiences shape us. And as we want to build up this picture of who we are so that we can make sense of the whole of our lives, those experiences, which, to be frank, many of us often start with, we start there, I am the result of all my experiences. In, in this series, we've been thinking of it quite differently. We're ending there, not because they're the least important, but because often they shadow everything else. So let's get the other stuff in and really understand that first. We begin to make sense, and we begin to work towards having a whole life. It may well be that as I've been sharing in this this morning, for you, there have been some experiences that have come up to the front just like as we've talked about it and as I asked that question of some of those difficult experiences, maybe you immediately got in touch with something and it feels fresh and raw. I believe that God would want to work in that moment even today. And so I want to invite you, if, if that is the case for you, maybe it was like you know, one of those moments you're working on the computer and your hand just touches the space bar or something and up pops a screen, you think, where did that come from? And it's because you clicked on the wrong icon and it filled your screen with something. Maybe just you had that experience. It was like, for a moment there, your screen got filled with something, a memory, a thought, an experience. I want to invite you today to commit that to the Lord and to seek some of his grace and his mercy. And if you do that by making your way over to this corner, then folks would be willing to pray with you and we'll make sure somebody's there who can pray with you. I also want to really encourage you that the achievements in your life are worth celebrating. And the achievements in your life are things that God has done in you that he will use for the good of others. And so some of us, we do hide the light under a bushel. And some of us, we're a bit shy of telling others the good things that God has been doing in our lives and the success and the achievements that we've been experiencing. I want us to unlock those and not hide them away in order that we might help others to achieve great things and to know that success is possible. So can I encourage each of us to start being more open about our experiences in order that others can know there's a God who sees us through? Amen. Well, Father, we thank you that you made us a unique shape and, Lord, that you are helping us to move fully into your plans and purposes for us. Take all that we have, we pray, Lord. The spiritual gifts you've put inside us, the desires and the drives in our hearts, those incredible abilities that you planted in us and that we've been honing over the years, this wonderful mix of personalities that exists in this family and all the experiences we've had. And through them, Lord, we pray that you would work all things to the good of those who love you. Amen.